Hi! Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This episode is brought to you by me. I'm still on the hunt for sponsors for the show. And if you have ideas of companies, brands or organizations that would be great sponsors for the show, drop me a message at david at papaphd.com. I'll be glad to look into them and to discuss them with you. In the meantime, if you want to fuel my late-night editing and notes page writing, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash PhD and buy me a coffee. And if you leave me a message and your Twitter or Instagram handle, I'll give you a shout-out in the next episode. And speaking of shout-outs, I wanted to shout-out a listener of the show, miwonseo183, who left me the following comment and review on Podchaser. She said the following... I am encouraged and inspired to pursue my goals listening to what David and his guests share on the podcast. I have found many things in common with what I'd already experienced for myself. It made me feel that I am not alone to face such difficulties and that I'll find my way as others have done. Thank you for doing what you do, David. Miwon, thank you for leaving me this kind review on Podchaser and for being a listener. And now for this week's show. This week I'm bringing you Wilf Nelson. Wilf is a PhD researcher at the University of Birmingham in the UK and he is the host and producer of the Watercooler Neuroscience podcast. During our conversation, Wilf shared his passion for science, for science communication and for podcasting. And if you stick till the end of the interview, you'll hear what advice he has to share as a PhD researcher turned entrepreneur. We don't sit around in an imaging industry that I've worked in going, how can we make people's test scores 10% better? Now, we're like, have you ever wondered that the visual system has over 1 billion connections? How does it ever organise itself? And then you think, okay, let's do a study where we look at that and let's have a look at some of the connectivity. Now, nobody's ever going to ask for that as an episode because they don't understand it exists. But what you do is you kind of take the same example as, say, food shows to go, here is some street market in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a country you can't even pronounce, and it's amazing. And I'm going to show it to you, and you wouldn't know, but I'm here to show you. And that's almost exactly what I am. I am at a travelling food show of neuroscience shows. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. And now, without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Wilf Nelson. Hi, I am Wilf Nelson. I am a PhD researcher at the Centre for Human Brain Health at the University of Birmingham in the UK, England. And I'm in the centre of England near um, Robin Hood and Nottingham. That's kind of within a mile of, (laughs) uh, sorry, an hour of where I live for anybody who doesn't have a great knowledge of English geography. I am a researcher in multi-system regulation and inhibition. Your brain is not always active. It likes to inhibit and regulate um, areas that it's not using or doesn't need to use. And I work a lot on the mechanics of how that works and specifically 
my PhD has started taking some of the base findings that were really important at the beginning of my PhD. The, you know, the papers you get given on week one, day one, mm-hmm. and told read. <laughs> and then we've taken some of those because they're in quite controlled artificial settings to try and tease out what its effect looks like. And we've been applying them to more and more ecologically valid or realistic scenarios. Mm-hmm. So that's the general spiel of me as a researcher. Uh, and I also run a neuroscience show which I've been growing over the last couple of years. And we'll talk a bit about that because it kind of translates about where I shifted and my interesting perspective I had on public engagement <laughs> that um, turned into something that people quite like, apparently. Yeah, and so, I, actually, that's something I really, really want to talk about because, um, you know, you're doing that whilst you're you're leading your PhD research and you're working towards your, your degree. And I, I'm really curious to to hear, and we'll talk about it during our conversation. But to hear about how you're fitting that into your, you know, onto into your routine, how, uh, and also what echoes that is having in your experience uh, as a PhD researcher. So super, super interesting, and 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 super happy to have you on Papa PhD. Um, and you haven't mentioned it yet, but the the podcast that you run is called Water Cooler Neuroscience. And yes. you do um, have actually small modification. We are yes. now a network. I run multiple shows. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Ahead, so um, we became a network. Once I now do this full time, we have think fast. So if you want a 15 minute episode a week and you don't have time to listen to a whole hour long discussion between me and a guest, you can pop on think fast and we take what was the most popular part, which is the current research section of my show. And we made that into its own show. Um, with people all around the world that I want to talk to. So yeah, I became a network, which was really cool to get that done because it, um, I guess I guess we'll talk about this. So yeah. one of the things that shifted from my PhD to my running the bit, I now run the business full-time. Okay. And I am writing up uh, my dissertation. I think in Canada, it's called um, only dissertation. In the UK, it's called a write-up year. I don't okay. know what the rest of the terms are for the rest of the world. Um, I started and literally the agreement on my contract. So I have a contract for my PhD, as many people do. And it says I cannot work another full time job alongside my PhD. And my supervisor was very supportive and saw that public engagement was something that I was good at. He told me literally, you are good at this. Go do this, which I take as a nice endorsement. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do it 30, 40 hours a week going to get people. So I had to do it slowly. Yeah, I was only allowed. I think it was actually uh, Wednesday afternoons. And if he told me I had to do something, I had to do it. That was the agreement. And that's fine. That was, I was doing a full-time PhD, you know, and he's my supervisor and he's taken responsibility to get me through that. And he's done really well in that. Yeah. It looks like you struck a balance, right? Of, okay. You know, if if there's something that's urgent uh, on the research side, you put, you, you, Put the, the the project your you know the podcast in the on the back burner. Take care of that and then come back. It looks really really interesting and it's great that your 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 supervisor had that flexibility and also identified that okay this is something he's good at. Question: Do, do does um does your lab or did you know did your lab see some echoes of of the work that you were doing too? Because if you were talking about research, maybe. You were talking about uh, your research. I'm not. I'm not certain because I haven't heard all, all the episodes. No, How, you know, um, was no. your was your no? There was nothing related to your research. No, because as we were building up on my experiments, we had one that went to Rome, and um, that got presented at the Human Brain Mapping Conference in Rome, and okay. there was a really nice reception. People were really um, inhibition and regulation work, particularly how we do it, is quite a rare piece of work. Mm-hmm. And we are a niche field, and I like working in a niche field. 
but we aren't a huge mainstream topic like mirror neurons or looking at functional connectivity for those who know what those topics are in neuroscience. Um, So when I was doing it, we were still building up and we still actually have over half of my PhD. We are writing up and getting ready for publication. Mm -hmm. So one of the rules, if you, if anybody here is a neuroscientist wants to come on my show and wants to get in contact, please do. I'm very friendly. You have to be one, a peer reviewed neuroscientist in a lab. Now that can be industry or university, but you have got to be in a professional laboratory or worked in one where you are reviewed. And the Mm -hmm. second is I will only talk about published work. I'll talk about work that's in press. I'll talk about work that's been gone over. But in the case of mine, where we're still looking at how that answers to our analysis and um, our studies feed into each other. So sometimes we'll look at something and find something really interesting. It will remap how we think about our hypothesis or add a sub hypothesis. And that means we go back and redo the analysis. So it's a very iterative process. And every time we think we're close to finishing one, <laughs> the other experiment feeds into it and says, no, 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 you need to go back and look at this new concept, this new theory as we're building up. And that happens in a niche because you are normally the pioneer in your own subfield. Yeah. So you don't really read another paper and go, oh, this is really interesting. Now, there are other people who do what we do, but specifically me trying to drill these theories into the real world, make them ecologically valid. There aren't many people doing that. Hmm. And because of that, we couldn't put stuff up because we're still working on it. So okay. um, I'm actually planning at some point to do an episode on me. <laughs> I might even try and drag my supervisor into recording me, but I don't know if he'll be comfortable doing that oh. and talk about it. But that's not something we do. And also, I the, so I've said the fav, um, my favorite part of this job, and it is a job, and that's something I think I should talk about, that it's a business mm-hmm. and is run like a business is I get to have my most interesting conversations of the year from running this show. Of course. I got to, we preached about this, I got to talk with John Dylan Haynes, who is a hero of mine. I massively fangirled. I have no shame in saying this. (laughs) I got so happy about talking to him because free will and consciousness, that's my jam. I love talking about this. And just getting to chat with him was amazing. So that's one of the things I really like about the show. And that means that I want to be having conversations with other neuroscientists. I don't want it to be a platform for me to philosophize. I don't want it to be a platform for me to just um, self-promote. Obviously, there is an because I'm the face of it, there's an element of self-promotion. So please don't anybody take it that I'm being so humble I never post about myself. That's <laughs> how it works. But if I can spend time talking about another researcher and putting up my conversation with them, that's what I want to do. So... I my research is a small part of what goes on the show, and that's okay. fine. That's cool. Yeah. And now, so I find it super interesting, and I, I, you know, there's a lot of talk out there in the latest in the last few years, or you see it much more. People talking about how scientists, no scientists uh, as a whole, or, or you know, everyone who's in science, and even young scientists, and even PhD researchers, should uh, develop some. Uh, some sort of like science communication muscle during their PhD and and then throughout their academic career, and it feels like you went to a really extreme, extreme, yeah, extreme type because you know, you know building a podcast is is very different than you know starting a blog or not ve- very different, but it has some particularities. Uh, you know, starting a blog or having a Twitter account. Uh, yeah. I, I'm really interested on on uh, your view and you know think of the listeners out there who are who, who are where you were let's say two three years ago and who have this burgeoning idea that that they they'd want to also kind of 
put their 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 interests out there in some some format. Uh, you know, talk about if you can talk about the process of how two three years ago, three four years ago, in your mind this idea came up, and how you then you know what steps you followed to then make it happen and make it into what it is today. Okay, For, okay. I, so this involves a series of paradoxes and they are important to mention that this is going to sound weird and you're going to have to find your line in the set of contradictory thoughts. And I'm going to be very clear from the outset that they are contradictory. First things first, if you want to do public engagement, you need to know, do you want to just go to a school back when that could be done? And obviously COVID will eventually pass as long as we follow good routines. And I hope everybody is safe out there we follow good routines, then you can go to schools. I've done that. I've done, you know, talk to a class and they put me in front of four classes back to back each hour. That was fun. Mm. Uh, Tiring, (laughs) but it's a cool thing to get to see kids who are just really meeting science for the first time, real science. But you'll only really speak to maybe, I think I spoke to maybe 80 kids over that whole experience. My show goes out and gets a lot more than that. But but my interaction with them is different. Now, I chose to go for the more impersonal interaction. Now, if somebody wants to come and hit me up on Twitter, we've had chats, I've had people send some quite personal messages and quite touching messages, and that's great, but I don't need that. Mm-hmm. If you want to send that to me and you want to communicate, I'm here to talk. But I do not stay awake at night needing people to do that in the same way that I, if I went to a school, I would need that face-to-face interaction. But some people do. Some people really want that personal interaction and them looking at a feed or looking at a um, website count it's just going to do nothing for them so pick mm-hmm. because that's an in, that's an important skill and maybe that means you need to wait a little bit because we need to make sure it's safe for people mm-hmm. to do that that's cool the second thing is if you are going to go down the side of putting out a blog or a website or something here's the important part quality aim for the highest level of quality you can manage now that doesn't mean that you have to make a full-blown production show but can you edit can you make sure it's okay? I've had audios where I've interviewed somebody over Zoom or interviewed somebody over Skype and the audio's broken up a bit, but the interview was really good. So I've put it out there and I put it at the front saying, by the way, the, in- the internet wasn't great at this country. That happened when lockdown started and the UK's bandwidth was um, limited across the entire country. So mm-hmm. getting a good, clean recording over an internet was just hard. Yeah. But people like the shows. But I aim to make it the best quality. And you keep pushing for what it can be. And you have to be your personal barrier to anything bad going out. You have to be the one that keeps saying no, no, no. And the reason I tell you this is if you get an editor, if you get somebody who pushes it out, they will be more inclined to tell you to stop. They'll say, just push it out, put it out there, keep running, next contract. And that's the way business works. Mm. We can get into that. But you are the one that picks if something's good or not. And... When you are doing a face-to-face interaction, that also doesn't matter as much. Obviously, your talk's going to be as good as you can make it, but you're not going to sit there scrutinizing over every breath or every hiccup, or maybe that description wasn't as clean as I could possibly make it. Mm. You're just going to try and keep with the flow and keep people engaged. The other thing that if you want to try and do a regular output is you have to dream big and act big before you are. So when I started, everybody was saying, you're never going to make money doing podcasting. It's a black hole. Um, You'll get a couple of hundred people listen, maybe across the entire world. And that's cool. But 
you know, accept that. And I went, okay, but I want to make this network and I want to have multiple shows and I want to have international guests. And you, I made that because that was the goal. That's what mm-hmm. I aimed for. And to be honest, I did this back in my A-level. So for anybody who doesn't know what an A-level is, that's the test that you do in the UK before you go to university. And I had this philosophy. So I had friends who would literally do all the numbers and calculate the minimum test score they needed to get on their finals to pass. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, I need to get a D minus. So I'm going to study to what the guide says gives me a D minus. And they're like, okay, theory. But what if something happens? What if you get sick? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get lower than a D minus and you're going to fail and that's not great. And so I studied to an A star because I am one of those insane people that will just do that. Mm-hmm. And I know there are a lot of people who don't see the point in it, but I viewed if I aim to an A star and I don't get as good as I want, I'll at least get an A plus or an A minus or maybe a B plus if something goes really bad. And that's good enough. That gets me where I want to be. So mm-hmm. I took that with the same view on the show. I was like, okay, what do I want this to look like? I want it to look like an international show with sponsors and really high level guests, people who are the leaders of their field. Let's start making that. What does that look like? And I did have people laugh. I did. And not in a mean way, but kind of a, holy Christ, you are gunning for this kind of almost reflexive. That's like saying somebody turns up at a tech startup and goes, we're going to fight Twitter. And you're like, wow. (laughs) Okay. Um, Good luck there. You know, you're not being mean. You're just like, that was a sentence you just said. And then (laughs) some people would manage it and some people don't. And we have. Every single series I've run has had some kind of sponsor. We've had international shows. We've had people who are in discussion for Nobel laureates because that's what I pushed for. Mm Mm-hmm. But that means you have got to kind of make it in this crazy, overambitious way that is absolutely setting up for you to be mocked and to be ridiculed that you are unrealistic. Because if you're just going to make a cute show where you and a couple of mates talk about some paper you had and maybe you'll put like your, you'll just take the live recording of your journal club and put it up on a show, is that something you would listen to? Mm-hmm. And if that's not something you would listen to and what you would listen to requires a lot more effort, you need to put the effort in. So... And the PhD then came into this. The PhD was that in like driving quality, quality, just keep pushing. What's best? How do we save money? Because labs have to save money. And I learned a lot of money saving techniques from being around a lab and also learning how to do things that I don't know. So I'm not a finance person. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely in the creative sector and starry eyed thinking about philosophy. So when I have to have chats about finance, I don't know how finance works. But at one point, I also didn't know about the physics of an MRI machine. And Mm -hmm. I did learn the physics of an MRI machine too. Of course. So I can learn. And you take those skills. So that's what I would suggest. Remember Remember which one you want to talk about. Remember which kind of audiences and how you want to interact with people. And I guess that will bring us naturally onto the unique selling point of water cooler neuroscience, which you find interesting. And I like that you do. Thank you. (laughs) And focus on how you want the show to look. Think about what you want it to be, even if it's a bit crazy. And push for quality. Even if... so, um, And that doesn't mean it has to be super expensive. If you have a look on our show, our mascot and our logo is a cartoon. Yeah, it was a cartoon made by one of my mates who does some art and graphic design, and he really didn't charge much for it. But it's a nice, understandable, recognizable cartoon, which was a really clean image. And it got, um, and as we had to like go onto more HD formats and specific formats for different websites, we got it cleaned up a couple of times, or it went through these filters and it came out weird because of the format it was made in, and we got it rejigged. But it's always been Pinky, my mascot, in a water cooler floating around. Mm. And we call our guests floating brains because of that. And it's all linked in. Mm-hmm. That did not cost me a huge amount of money. So do you want me to talk about the unique selling point about the show too? 
Well, uh, one, one thing, because I'm, I'm always thinking of the listener and, you know, I, I understand where, you, you know, the, the whole frame of mind, and it, it is important. If you want to go, let's say, in your case, to, you know, to go into media production, which is, I think, what you, what you are doing today and what your desire was, you need to have this vision you need to you know you need to make the the listener or the, the in, in our case we're podcasters you know the listener experience uh, be uh, the best possible with the least friction and that has to do with like you said having high quality audio having high quality guests and bringing value to the, to the listener i i totally totally agree with that now my question is for phd res researchers phd phd students still out there who might be thinking um but you know, uh, I I want to do this, but I want to start on the side, and um, and and I can't start big. And of course, like now you're you're taking this full time because you're in this in the writing process, and it's it's totally understandable. Um, but my question is, actually, my question is another one, which is, why did you gravitate towards? Uh, what what was the kind of moment when you you felt okay this is what I want to do, and why I want to ask is because I I think a lot of people out there can see and and I think the listeners will will know and will will see in their Twitter feeds you know, where wherever they are that science communication uh, is gaining in visibility uh, in importance and you know even just now with the COVID pandemic. It's there's really important things that are happening in in and in terms of science communication that have that has to do specifically with the epidemiology and all you know all the things to do with how, you know the pandemic itself and how to deal with it. But in your vision, why is it important uh, for some proportion of scientists to become sci science communicators in more of a formal and and kind of uh, high quality way. Okay, I can explain it really simply. You are paid by public money. That means the public pay your bills and they have the right to know what you do or they in a democratic society can shut you down. Mm -hmm. That's it. That is the fundamental basis. If you take their money, if you take taxpayer money and do are not capable of explaining to the public what you do on a level that they can understand because I should make an aside Say that somebody chose to be an accountant, right? They chose their formative years to spend learning finance and accountancy. You spend it to learn to be a biologist. Mm -hmm. They are no lesser because they didn't do your degree. You have to explain it in a standard that they can explain because you are the one with the privileged education to be able to. So if you do not explain to the public how your work is done and what your work is worth and the right ways to view it and not... For example, discussing consciousness, people can get very confused when we say we're trying to understand consciousness and there are things we are trying to do with consciousness as researchers and things we are not trying to do, then you are going to get shut down mm -hmm. because you've not explained. You've just taken money and not given anything back. And sure, you can say it's in papers, but they can't read the papers because they're trained for an academic audience to understand mm -hmm. the papers. That's it. That's yeah, even the language, the language on papers is is not easily intelligible to anyone no. in the public, just the way it's written, right? Yeah. 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 So that's the reason. It, and that's, I think I, ha I stand to that. I have had some academics disagree with that. They think that academia should not be explained in a way that fits to the public because that's wasted effort that we could put more into the great pursuit of knowledge and science. That is ultimately an ideological perspective. Of course. Neither one is right or wrong. 
they are your choice where you go with that. Mm-hmm. But I hold that if you are taking taxpayer money, you have to explain. And if you before somebody says, I'm not paid by taxpayer money, okay, you have a corporate sponsor who pays for a study. You try to claim that you can't explain what you did to them. They are going to cut your funding. Mm-hmm. A company mm-hmm. is not going to listen to you for five seconds saying that you're just going to take their money and not say what you did. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think. I guess we should talk about two things then. So if you are interested in getting into a formal, really high level approach you're going to make this a show you're going to make this into something that regularly puts out things first off you don't need to go out the gate hell for leather i released my first series in uh the summer of 2019 i didn't release my second series until march 2020 okay because it took me time to get some stuff together and then i got um i did a series for the biochemical society and they paid some grant money and that was nice and we did another series in june and then I didn't release anything all the way until October because I had to focus on my PhD. And people came back and listened. People understood I was a small show and that I was doing a PhD and it was something I was doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to start releasing your show on February 1st, 2021, you do not need to be there on 2021 with full-blown, insane guests, Elon Musk and Neuralink. All the bells all and whistles. <laughs> yeah, you can start saying, hey, we're going to release some episodes, listen when you want. And we put effort in. We've tried to make this as good as we can, but we are learning. Mm-hmm. And also, let's make this clear. The first episodes I ever released in England when we did the stats, I had three people listen. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know each of them personally. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And you like, you think, okay, so that one was my gran, and that one was my mum, and that one was that person who kind of wants to start a podcast, and I think they were just listening to me to see if I'm bad. <laughs> and, you think, and like... And then we, um, you come to January after like six months and I released some episodes and I was not looking, I hate looking at numbers. Um, I always know whatever number I see on the feed is never enough mm-hmm. because that's how internet works. You know, that's a YouTube, you know, grow and grow and grow and grow. Yeah. So I try not to look and I just want to focus on the content and that's the higher ambition. That's the ideal. I don't always succeed, but that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And we then realized that we had a few hundred people listening around. And then in March, when I released the second one, we shot up and we got to a few thousand people. And it will grow. And sometimes it won't grow at the same speed. You know, um, I find this fascinating. It's one of my weird analytical moments. If you look on YouTube at all of the shows that have like 2 million subscribers or when they hit a million subscribers, some will hit a million subscribers with five videos. Yeah. And some will hit it with 70 videos. And some will hit a million subscribers with 6,000 videos. There is no correlation between number of videos and number or number of output and number of likes or mm. number of followers. That is not a measure of your worth. People have different audiences and people like things for different times. And also, as I've been told repeatedly, you just sometimes get lucky. You can make the best show you can make and you get lucky. But, okay, let's talk about the thing, the other part, which is a unique selling point. Yeah. So I'm going to put this through in a very nerdy fashion because I'm obviously I'm going to get around to my show. One of the favorite games I like to play is Magic the Gathering. I am a white middle 20s male. So, yes, I'm very stereotypical in this fashion, <laughs> but I like complex strategy games. Um, and there are loads of people and I watch content of where people stream it. Yeah. But I don't watch the streamers where it's just somebody going, I have an account and I'm just going to play some of the best decks today. 
you know, if I want to watch somebody do that, I'll watch one of the world pros because I mm. want to see the insane lines. Or I'll watch other shows where they do fun games or they make insanely bad decks and try to play them. You know, there's something there. There's something that's bringing me to you. If you're just going to say, I'm just going to sit with a mic and basically record myself playing like I do every day, give me cash, follow me, uh, what's in it for me? You know, mm. what are you giving me that somebody else isn't? When it came to my show, I was doing public engagement for a while and I was doing, I got told, can you talk about your research to people who come to university? So they did public engagement days and I was a paid speaker in those days. That's nice. Okay. And that's where I started. And obviously when you're paid, you have this kind of responsibility to get better. You know, you're being paid money. Of course. <laughs> and if people don't come, and, and also the other thing was I had to stand outside my door in this forum and get people in. And I sold it. Mm. I, I mean, I was borderline aggressive. I came up smiling and bouncing <laughs> and happy, like, how's your day? How are you doing? Do you like the university? It's amazing, isn't it? Come in my room. And they're like, what? Yeah, room? Sure. <laughs> and then I had them in the room, like, why are we in here again? Ah, the science. Oh, God, it's attacking me. And that's how I got people in. Um, so then I would have these huge rooms filled because I was chasing people down. I went full salesman on this. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. Now, I'm not a salesperson, but I like talking about science. It wasn't hard to convince mm. me to get up to talk about science. But then they were like, talk about your study. It's like, I can't. And they're like, well, you're a neuroscientist. You have to talk about it. So it's like, no, 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 you misunderstand. You're giving me half an hour to talk about my study. Talking about how an EEG works, so they understand what I say when I see a brain signal, is an hour-long talk by itself. Mm. And they're like, but they don't need to know how an EEG works. Like, of course they need to know how an EEG works. Because if I say I scan somebody with an EEG, then they need to know what that means. <laughs> you know because if i'm talking about and this is very relevant with covid and stuff now i'm not an expert in virology or i'm not an expert in epidemiology but if somebody says we've shown that covid is going to spread to these regions in the next five weeks that's meaningless how because i know from stats that you're making a probabilistic guess and i know that probabilistic guess is probably worth listening to but i want to see your methods so i took the same approach and okay. I wasn't able to do that in the format I was given. And I actually did do the talks for over a year. And um, then they redesigned how they wanted to do it. And it led more into a line that I wasn't happy with. So mm -hmm. I made my show. Okay. But I led to a philosophy. And I'm sure as a PhD, you will agree with this. And many of your other guests would agree with it. When we go to conference, or used to go to conference, we do not talk about the findings. What we actually talk about is the methods for about 90% of the time and bicker about them because scientists do bicker. And nobody should ever try and pretend that we don't. And after that, when we agree whether we like the methods or not, whatever the finding is, sure, it's probably just what it is. If you everybody agrees that the research was done properly, you took your samples, you did your analysis, and then it says, we found that the memory in squirrels is, you know, really high in winter. Random example, I actually have no clue what the memory capacity of squirrels is but if we think your methods are sound everybody's just going to go yeah sure cool talk i really liked it public engagement in the media is done in the opposite way they say tomatoes cure cancer and you're like okay what do you mean like eating tomatoes has never cured cancer for anybody i am so lost and you don't listen to them what they're actually saying is if we take a certain chemical from a tomato and purify it and then take cancer cells and put them in a petri dish and then put this onto the cancer cells with another treatment, it kills the cancer cells better than the treatment alone. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. That doesn't mean that if I sit there eating nachos with salsa, I'm suddenly going to cure cancer. It's like, no, nobody was ever saying that. But if you start with the result first, I can't understand what you did. And if I can't understand what you did, how do I understand whether I care? Mm -hmm. So that was the show. The show is 
talk about the methods. Talk to me like you're at conference. Mm-hmm. And I have been asked by journalists, how do you make this show? And I've said the first response is get a PhD in neuroscience. <laughs> to which they've gone, ha, 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 very funny, but really. And then I've said, no, I'm not kidding. Go get a PhD in neuroscience. And they're like, what? <laughs> they're like, that's impossible. And it's like, yeah, but scientists <laughs> like to be spoken to as scientists. Of course. We, I've had somebody on who was discussing about cell cultures and altering epigenetics and stuff. And I, I actually know some of the labs that he corresponds with. And I know the people who work in them personally. And mm-hmm. we talk about that. That's a chat where I'm talking to the scientists. Now, here's where the show part comes in. It's my job to then translate that. Okay. That's the part where it becomes work. And I'm not against doing it, but that is work. Nobody should think that I get to sit and spend all day, you know, drinking expensive champagne, chatting with amazing scientist celebrities, and I just post them out with no effort and boom, I'm rich. That is not what's <laughs> happening. I do an interview. I pick guests that I think are interesting. Some of them respond, some of them don't. And then we go over the talks. We talk about what I think is important, and then I have to go through that episode and make it intelligible to an audience that did not have the privilege of a neuroscience education. That's my unique selling point, to bring this back to that. That's mm-hmm. something that I do arguably better than most other shows. So if you wanted to say, okay, I'm interested about how imaging's working, I don't want to know that you found this new part of the brain that shows hope, which there is no part of the brain that shows hope. That's stupid. But <laughs> that's, I've seen that. But I want to go on a show where they'll tell me how that actually was done so I can understand what these images on the screen mean. Because, by the way, your brain doesn't actually light up when you do stuff. That's a statistical image that we provide. I will explain that to you. And I actually have two episodes where we got a physicist and explained an MRI. Mm -hmm. So what what I'm getting, and for the listeners who have, let's say, a project that resembles uh, what what you've done, and I want to talk a little bit more about that, even you know we have 10 minutes more of interview but what i get is if you have something that's that that's a passion for you and uh if you if you want to bring it to the public you really need and and tell me tell me how you feel about this you need to put yourself uh in the shoes of the public that's that's going to be listening and say what what value am, am i uh, you know is the listener going to be getting from an episode of my show or a, a post of my blog i, I you know and, and what's going to be unique and uh, as you mentioned about what i'm offering versus all the other uh, you know content that's being published every day out there so I, I agree with parts of that. I'd like to add a couple of clarifications. So, for example, I love movies and video games and art. I've never made a show on that because mm-hmm. I don't know how to make a show better than the people I watch. Mm-hmm. There are just some really amazing analytical minds on things like podcasting, Twitch, and YouTube that provide amazing insights. I don't know how to make a better show, so I haven't bothered. However, when you are thinking about trying to get into the mind of the public, that, I think, is a trap. And the reason is... My view is if a scientist or a guest is interested in what they want to talk about and they have genuine enthusiasm for their work, and most scientists do, that enthusiasm is enough to carry the episode. Mm -hmm. They found their topic so interesting, they want to spend their life on it. There's Mm -hmm. got to at least be something there to talk about. And yeah, sure, one in 10 times I'm wrong. One in 10 times I send it on to a review and they say, we don't like this, don't put this episode out because I have a bunch of people who listen to my episodes to make sure they're the right level and they're understood. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, if I can find what I think is interesting, if I can find what makes that person view 
left hippocampal pyramidal um, memory cells so fascinating i can probably get out of that person why you should care for 40 minutes to listen to an episode but, so but the, that's my point my point is it, uh, i don't think it's opposite to what you're saying because you kind of have an editorial view on uh, and you say you also have people who listen to kind of vet an episode but yeah you you are still trying to kind of digest or or take in what the person says and then work the episode in a way that at the end there's a, there's a line, there's a message that's going to be intelligible and palatable to your public, right? Mm -hmm. But that's that what I was means, saying. Yeah. That's what I was saying when you have to have your, your end user in mind when you're, when you're producing something is, is was in that sense. That, so I yeah. think it actually aligns with what you're saying. But also on occasion, the job of the podcast is not to explain to you, the audience, the work in a way that you will understand. I am offering an opportunity for you to understand what the guest sees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if somebody says, explain to me, it's a case of people will ask for what they already have. So if you say, what's going to be the next big movie franchise to go, the Avengers was awesome. I want the Avengers. But if you'd mm -hmm. said prior to the Avengers, would you want superhero movies? They'd be like, no, that's stupid. Because mm -hmm. the, Superhero movies, for those who don't remember, were very much laughed and mocked at before the <laughs> Marvel did a really good job of making them into a worldwide phenomenon. So if I come and say, what kind of public engagement do you want to say? Like, how do I make, how do you make me study better? How do you make me smarter? And it's like, okay, that's cool. But that's not what we're talking about when we're in the lab. We don't sit around mm -hmm. in an imaging institute that I've worked in going, how can we make people's test scores 10% better? Now we're like, have you ever wondered that the visual system has over one billion connections how does it ever organize itself and then you think okay let's do a study where we look at that and let's have a mm -hmm. look at some of the connectivity now nobody's ever going to ask for that as an episode because they don't understand it exists but what you do is you kind of take the same example as say food shows to go here is some street market in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a country you can't even pronounce and it's amazing <laughs> and i'm going to show it to you and you wouldn't know but i'm here to show you And that's almost exactly what I am. I am at a traveling food show of neuroscience shows. <laughs> I'm the one that goes, this guy over here, I mean, we did an episode with Asaf Marco and Asaf Marco was at MIT and he did, and you would never really see his work go onto a standard um, big release on CNN. And okay. the reason is because it's really advanced work and that's not a discredit to him. It's really, really advanced. But what he does is he looks at how we can look at the genetics of your hippocampus cells. And that's why I've been mentioning hippocampus because it's in my mind and it was such a great interview to do with him. Um, he looks at the way these cells work and he breeds specific mice that their brains will respond so we can look at the memory process second by second. Okay. Would anybody ever Twitter at me to ask for that episode? No. Is that episode really cool and would you want to listen to it? Yes. So on occasion, I do have to be a bit trendsetting. I do have to take a gamble. Mm -hmm. and push for what i think's interesting and if anybody's curious about how well how do you know what's interesting because that gets you a show that people listen to and stuff i could be wrong i could have bottomed out and nobody could have listened this was a gamble you know there's no guaranteed pattern for of success course. and stuff and that's what happened i guess the other thing is and also on you know the great tips that i can give if anybody's getting involved Your university or the city you are in because you're probably if you're a phd or an academic researcher going to be tied to a city will have entrepreneur and startup support. Mm -hmm. Join them. You need to learn how to run a business. And before you say it's not a business, I'm not a business person, 
if you have to pay for an editor because you don't have time because your supervisor is making you do more um, analysis than is humanly possible and welcome to postgraduate school that's how it works you need to pay them mm-hmm. and you need to have money and if you also need to get gas you need to get equipment you need to have some money you need to have income or maybe you need to set up a website so you are going to be a business pretty quickly okay and if you're going to be a business pretty quickly join an entrepreneurial group and this is also important if you just want to go work in industry because this is a big topic industry works so differently to academia now it's important to mention academia is the minority here i know that (laughs) we view of academia as the majority and the industry is insane and it does things that are very weird and that is true if if you were to take a view about how industry views data analysis and you were to provide that model most of the time as an undergraduate or a postgraduate method you would fail Hmm. that's not saying it's wrong that is saying that the way academia views data analysis is very different of course so if you want to go into industry, you want to go work for a company, go join entrepreneurial groups. Go see how businesses run. Go see how they talk about data. The way that I do data analysis on my data versus I do data analysis on my company when we're trying to figure out how many downloads we've had, and that's a surprisingly difficult question, <laughs> um, or on how website visits work and the traffic works, that's very different. And neither are wrong. So by going to join entrepreneurial groups, going to see how business people are learning to start businesses, you will get a much better experience than doing a one-hour seminar on what jobs in industry are like, where they have four speakers all talk for 10 minutes and say, well, I work in industry and I work in a cubicle and it's fine. Mm-hmm. No, go see somebody who's like, I'm going to start up a new food truck. It's like, okay, what's that like? You know, what's your world like? That will give you an interesting insight. And you're not signing up. You're not making a new company. You're not quitting your PhD. You're just popping by. And you go in maybe a couple of times and you'll meet some cool people and you'll probably, probably end up with an idea for your own company. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And, uh, uh Wilf, uh, we're reaching the end of the interview, but I think through, you know, you, uh, I let you talk because you were, you were hitting a lot of interesting points. And, uh, and although, you know, although they, we went from, uh, you know, what you did as a PhD to how the idea of the podcast was, was born to uh, you taking part in, in uh, let's say, outreach within university. And I would have liked to talk uh, about how that worked, how you got that gig, let's say, but it could mm. be for another conversation. Don't you, I can, don't, you don't, we don't have okay. to go into it now, but what, what I find interesting is that you, you, ended up, you ended up getting to kind of, for me, the, the crux of all of this, which is networking, getting into another universe, which in the case that you just mentioned is the entrepreneurial universe, Getting to learn the lingo, learn the culture, learn the techniques. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, data, data uh, you know, data analysis is very different in, at the bench or if you're if you're a company. Uh, and I, I find it really interesting that in the end, this this whole conversation ended at this very interesting point of you know, it started of it started with kind of an introspection of what do you want to do. What is what is your what is your vision? What's going to be your unique offer? So it, it was centered on you as a, as someone who has yes research, but also a project outside. And now at the end, it, it kind of you kind of closed for me. You close the loop with go meet people who are doing business. Go go talk with them. Go work with them, collaborate with them, and then you'll be able to integrate all of this into your project and bring it to another level. Yeah, that, and that's also- what I'm getting. To answer your question, how I got the gig speaking as a public engagement officer, go ask. That's it. Just go ask. (laughs) 
There's no great method. You don't need my 10 steps of how to write your CV. You don't need to do my 200 pound engagement course on my website. Just (laughs) go and ask somebody. All you need to do is just, so when I went to a school, I just said, I'm an expert. I'm going to talk about this, this, and this. Are you interested? And they said, Mm -hmm. yes. And they didn't pay me. They gave me a nice box of chocolates because of how government um, in the UK works about paying public engagement and how they do that. But that was a nice day. And I got, yeah. I got to do some public engagement. So, yeah, ask. Great. And uh, that's also a very great point. Uh, some, sometimes you get to graduate school or to university and you might not, you know, you might uh, be shy to go you know, talk to the pe- people in the offices that are around there, be it career offices or communications Offices, yeah, ask, ask your, maybe ask your supervisor, but also, you know, look at the billboards out there and see what's, what's posted. Maybe that's, a, that's an idea too. But, um, Will, we are really at the end of the interview and think, you know, thinking of all, all that we talked, uh, do you think you could, uh, just have like one or two pieces of advice for people? Think of you three, four years ago, two, three years ago. Do you have advice that you would give yourself knowing what you know today? Uh, or and give, of course, the listeners out there who might be in this point at this point of their PhD, where they have maybe this side project they want to develop, and uh, but also keep going at their, you know, and successfully completing their PhD. Yeah, sure. So I've got a couple of very quick ones. First, you need to be far more aggressive and confident in business than you are in academia. If you turn up all shy and meek from academia, and then you try it in business, you will get walked over. And it's not being rude. It is just the way it works. That is important. Second, sign up for things. There'll be grants. There'll be business support. There'll be startups. There'll be um, things you can go to. There'll be public. Um, I actually started as a public engagement initiative and got public engagement money, not business money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how I started off. And the third part is, and I would suggest this, stop listening. Go make it. <laughs> Done. Put the phone down. I'm not joking. Put the phone down. Stop listening and go. Now, if you're still hearing this, you're not listening to me. Stop listening. Well, now you're messing up all my calls to action that are coming up in a minute or two. But, <laughs> but I think the I think the listeners understand what you're saying and uh, and I agree with you. You 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 can't get uh, somewhere without starting Doing. first the one putting one foot in front of the other. I totally totally agree well i've screwed up your call to actions it's fine it's fine it, it's actually it's actually fun uh wilf before uh getting to the end of the interview if people want to uh talk with you if people want to uh find water uh, water cooler uh, neuroscience where do they find you and your projects okay so if you want to find the show look on your podcasting app and type in water cooler neuroscience We seem to be on more apps than I've signed up for, so you'll probably find us, but iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast. If you want to find the website where we have information about the guests, the shows, me, things I've been on, watercoolerneuroscience.co.uk. If you want to find us on social media, at WCNeuro or whatever your social media is, slash WCNeuro, and you will find us. If you are particularly good at stalking people on the internet, I look forward to you turning up outside my house. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wilf, this was this was great. Uh, I, I had I had a uh, fun and I had a good time uh, talking with you. And um, I, I think uh, well, I'm I'm really 
grateful that that you accepted to come on the show. I think you have. Uh, if people were listening, they are energized after after uh, this this interview because they're not uh, listening because they listen to me. <laughs> well, you know what? They're not listening anymore. They left. That's it. <laughs> so, thank you so much for coming on Papa PhD. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of Papa PhD. Don't forget to read the show notes, to follow the show on your podcast app, and to share any episode you like with a friend. And remember, if you have any guest suggestions, sponsor suggestions, just reach out to me at david at papaphd.com. Thank you and have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music